I'd like you to open to Psalm 113, and I'd like to look at the first psalm that Christ sang the night before he was crucified for the sins of the world and became sin for us. He was on a mission, and I think it's very important as we look at the song that he sang to realize that God has always been on a mission in Psalm 113, Psalm 113 through Psalm 115 was what was traditionally sung the first the 13th, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 at the first cup and Psalm 115 through Psalm 118 at the conclusion. But in Psalm 113, I believe we succinctly find God's mission for the world and he answers for us the how, the when, the who, and most importantly, the why. In Psalm 113, it begins with a statement which is a command which cannot be altered. Praise ye the Lord. And it's almost so familiar of a phrase, though. We, and it's a wonderful phrase. It should be familiar. But sometimes I don't think we always ponder the weight of obligation that we are under in this phrase. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Halal and Yah. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. And it, it's not a question. It's, it's not a conversation piece. It's a command. And you and I and the rest of the world are under this command. But it's interesting, so often, like children, we respond to God's commands. You know, when you give a kid a command, what's the first thing they do? They say, uh, do I have to do that now? Right? They look for a loophole. Or, well, what about we do that a little bit later? Or, well, do I have to clean the whole room, or can I just make my bed and close the closet door? Is that like... Can I put everything in the closet and just close the door? Does that work? So you, you give further instruction, right? You, you give clarity. Sometimes, sometimes you just say, no, just do what I said. <laughs> but God treats us, and he's very gracious with us. And so here in Psalm 113, he, he answers the question we would have after reiterating his command. And he jumped down to verse 2, and it, the answer is for us the question, well, how should we praise the Lord? Is this just something we do in song in verse 2, he states, blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to pause there. Several years ago, about three now, three or four years ago, I got very intrigued by the concept of how does a man bless God? It was very, very, I mean, it's very clear to me what it means when the Bible says that God blesses me. I mean, I just look at my life. There's nothing in my life that I have that I, that I you know, got because I'm so amazing. Um, my life is saturated with the blessings of God. He has abundantly provided for me, chiefly in salvation, but in everything else. So what, it, but God doesn't need anything. Psalm 50 goes so far as to God just states, if I need of anything, I wouldn't tell you. So how does a man bless God? And I found that it's two sides of a coin. The first side is very simply giving God thanks. For all things. Giving God thanks. Gratitude. A heart that in humility recognizes I am a creature and you are the creator. And I am always in dependence upon you. But the other side of the coin that I found fascinating was it wasn't just that words of thanksgiving should be the sacrifice of our lips, as Hebrews says, but that the life was to match the lips. And to bless the name of the Lord means to have a life 
that manifests the gratitude that we feel. Let me illustrate it this way. I love books. I, I am a nerd at heart. I mean, the glasses are true, okay? Um, I, I, nothing gives me more joy than to look at a, a, a library. I, it just, <sighs> so exciting. Um, so I've had on occasion people give me a book and they say, oh, this is a really good book. And I say, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I do. And then it's so bad when I don't read the book and they come to you again and they go, hey, what'd you think of that book? It's next on my list. I will let you know, right? Okay, so my words were gratitude. Thank you for the book. Did my life reflect that gratitude? No, I didn't read the book. I didn't take what I had been given and use it. I love your theme this year. Christ liveth in me. Wow. We have been given life by his life. And we should express gratitude for the life Christ has given us. But shouldn't it be manifested, his life in me and through me? Shouldn't we live lives blessing the name of the Lord? Well, how, when, when should we do this? And the, verse 2 answers this as well. From this time forth and for Sundays. From this time forth for a solid week. Get through seven days, Okay. From this time forth for a month. Is that what it says? From this time forth and forevermore. Doesn't sound like there's a loophole on the time factor, is there? God is interested in a life that says, acknowledges I am creature and you are creator and everything I have is from you. Therefore, I will live in light of that all the time. In every situation. And sometimes there are hard situations, aren't there? But we still must praise ye the Lord. Well, who? You notice that in verse 1 it says, Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Which is probably in this context referring to the priest. So is, can we just you know limit this to the Old Testament priest? Or how about just... I mean, it's Old Testament, so it probably doesn't apply to us anyway. No, in verse 3, he makes it very clear. From the rising of the sun and to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Consistently in the word of God, when that imagery is used, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, it is referring to all men in all places. Two primary examples would be Isaiah 45, 1 through 6, when God says that he will give to Cyrus all the kingdoms, so that from the rising of the sun to the going down, they will know that God is the one who sets up the kingdoms. Malachi chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, where he's talking about what he's going to do, again, to let all places know from the rising of the sun to the going down what God is, that God is in charge. And here we find the exact same thing, and that is what missions is about. See, missions wasn't just something God was like, you know what, Christ, now that you've died, buried, and rose again and been exalted, we should, let's just put you in charge of everything. No, God has always been interested in his creation. He has always been interested in all men. But now we get to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We get to proclaim that every man is under the obligation at all times to live a life of gratitude to the God who made them and the God who desires to save them. But then we come to the question that is usually asked by either little, little kids or teenagers. Why? And this doesn't always have to be a rebellious attitude. But there is that question of, okay, if all men in all places at all times are to live a whole life of gratitude to God, why? And in verse number four, he begins to answer that question by reminding us that God is great. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Wow. We don't even really understand what that means. We can state it, the sovereignty of God, the transcendence of God, the eternality of God, the infinity of God. I don't have a clue what any of those are. Everything I know is temporal, had a beginning, has an end, and is very, very limited. Every man I know has been set up for a time and then brought low, whether through the grave or just getting older and retiring or failure. And yet God rules from the heavens and he sits upon his throne and he does not change. You know, he hasn't been surprised by anything that has ever happened. I get surprised by stuff that happens all the time. Pretty much on an hour by hour basis. <laughs> I mean, I plan, but I firmly believe that plans are made to be changed. Like you make your plan so that God can change it. But yet God is high and lofty. He is great for no other reason than that he is God. And he should be praised for no other reason than that he is God. And if that were the only reason, that would be enough. And I believe in verse 6 is one of the most incredible pictures of his grandeur in the word of God who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven. Now, isn't this quite the contrast to Psalms 8? Because in Psalms 8, the, the psalmist writes, when I as a man consider the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the works of thy hands which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I spent some time over the weekend looking at um, images from the Hubble telescope. If you want to feel small, <laughs> just look at some of these pictures. I mean, there's pictures of multiple galaxies lined up and stars and, and planets. And, and it just, look at it. And, and then you realize how much incredible space there is between those galaxies, between the stars within the galaxy. And then you think of Isaiah chapter 40 where he says he stretched out the heaven with a span. You know, there's, if you were to take a car and you were to drive at 75 miles an hour 
If you want to drive around the Earth, you could do it in 14 days. So if you were going to start here and go perfect circle around the Earth, you could do it in 14 days. If you were to drive 75 miles an hour, if you started in 1878, you could arrive at the sun. No stop. You're not allowed to stop. 75 miles an hour, nonstop. If you wanted to go from Saturn to the sun, you would have had to start at the, the fall of the Western Empire. So it would take you 1,412 years to drive 75 miles an hour from Saturn to the sun. If you wanted to go from Saturn and then run into Saturn again on the other side, well, then you would have had to start when Amos was writing. You know, there's a star, one star that we've come across in the universe that if you were to plop it into the center of our solar system would swallow up the sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. God stretched out the heavens with a span. We think of that star and we're like, whoa. You know what God does? It's in there somewhere. How big is your God? How great is he? I would not be involved in missions if I did not believe God was a great God because I want you to know that there are many adversaries within my heart and outside of me. But because he is great, he is worthy of our praise. But this verse transitions and reminds us he is not only great, the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. He also reminds us he is good because he not only beholds the things in heaven, but he beholds us. Verse 7, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even the princes of his people. When, when the scripture says here, he, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, what, what is he describing? Well, I want you to turn to Job, please. Job chapter 2. Hold your finger in Psalm 113. We'll go back there. But in Job chapter 2, Job has now gone through the two worst days of his life. Day number one is found in chapter 1 where he loses all of his material possessions, but even worse, even worse, he is, loses all of his children. In one day, in one moment, I, I can't imagine. I think I, every parent I've ever talked to and now expecting our first, I, I think I would gladly take the loss of all my goods if it meant the welfare of my children. But he loses everything outside of him. Then by the time we get to chapter 2, now he is afflicted. It's so painful of boils that he gets some measure of relief by taking broken shards and gouging and digging at them. It gives him just a little bit of relief. But in Job chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible states, And he, Job, took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. These were places outside the city where you would take your ashes from your fire, you would take 
the refuse from your animals and yourself. You would take your compost and your trash and you would go out and you would throw it there. And what would happen is just like a compost, it would bake in the sun and it would get heat and it would start to retain that heat. And all of the outcasts of the city, those that were lepers, those that were destitute, those that were poor, those that were unclean, they would go there at night because it was the only place that was warm. It's where you went when you had nothing to offer anyone. And the Bible tells us that the nature and character of God is that he goes there. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He goes to this place of shame. He goes to this place of the outcasts. He goes to the place of the unclean, and he makes it a place of honor and acceptance and restoration. And there isn't any better picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you and I had nothing to offer him. And yet he came to us and in love because his heart is as great as his nature. Brought us in and made us sons of God. And he made us sons so that we might be fruitful. Verse 9, he maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Think about the barren woman in the Bible. Hannah. Her son was Samuel. You think of Mary before she's a virgin. She has no chance, right, to have a child and yet her son. You think of Elizabeth, a barren woman. You think of all these barren women in the Bible and what we see their sons doing because it was a glory to God of what he could do in a life and through a life. And that's what missions is, God getting a hold of a life and making us fruitful. And I want you to know it's not just for those that go some far distant place. God is interested in his life being manifested in your life. Because the invitation of John 15, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. But why? So the branch gets all the glory of having fruit? No, because my Father is glorified when ye bear much fruit. Why do we go to missions? We go to missions because God is a great and good God. And the message we tell is the message that God is a great and good God. And the message for the deaf over in Romania and the message for you and your friends and your coworkers and your community is that God is a great and good God. Pastor Gilbert, thank you so much.